I spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious mergers and acquisition specialists around. And now I've decided to take the leap into buying businesses. The real questions are how will I do it? How much of the behind the scenes can we really show? And how can business owners like you maximize their purchase price and build generational wealth? This show is going to give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we buy, sell, or merge healthcare businesses and physical therapy practices. I'm Dave Kittle, and this is The Dave Kittle Show. Hey, today on the show, we are talking about a growth strategy, a physical therapy private practice owner reach out to me in regards to the possibility of either buying or merging with a practice nearby, their local competitor, or building out a de novo clinic, a startup clinic. There's a lot of words, a lot of uh, different terminology about your options and startup de novo clinic versus buying and merging. We're going to get into all that. I'm Dave Kittle, owner of Concierge Pain Relief Home Physical Therapy in New York City and the CEO of the Fieldmaker Group. We're currently speaking with practice owners about partnering or acquiring some or all their practice. And today we have Jesse Lewis on the pod. He's a physical therapist, practice owner of District Performance down in the DC area. Jesse, what's going on, man? How you doing, Dave? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So thanks for reaching out. You and I connected I probably the past several years with like the cash-based stuff. And you have gone from zero to one and then one to two locations. So for the audience, before we get into this growth strategy, if also by the way, if you are if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify. Jump over to the YouTube because we're going to do a little bit of a... We're going to screen share a Google Doc and we're going to go through a little bit of a table. We're going to fill out the different options that someone like Jesse has in regards to like, hey, should I... Like cost, timeline, marketing, hiring, culture, morale, training, staffing, like all these types of things. What are the pros and cons and the costs and all that in regards to building out your next clinic versus maybe merging or buying a local competitor? So we're getting into all that, but Jesse, for the audience, if they don't know you already, tell everyone, tell me a little bit about your practice, where you guys are at, and then we'll get into like the training today. Yeah. So we are downtown DC. I started us almost exactly five years ago, started one room out of the gym for the entire five years. We don't take any insurance at all. We fully cash-based. You know, we took our, our first clinic, grew that to three therapists. And last year, we opened up our second location. We took the same approach. We rented a room in a gym. And then about five months ago, we took our first original location, moved that to a standalone space. So had a good build out. Now we have one standalone space. Our new location inside of a gym is full for that one therapist, over full for that one therapist. So we need to hire for that location. So so far, we've taken you know two uh, locations inside of a gym, made them successful. Uh, so we've gotten you know in the past three years, we've gone from two hundred thousand revenue to we should do a little over a million this year. So thinking about you know over the next two three years, do we just repeat the process, find gyms to start really small, grow from there, or can we accelerate that growth and maybe find some other cash based owners who don't love the back end side of things where we can take the systems sales marketing that we've built out over the past few years and help them grow even faster by bringing them on board with us. Got it. And why not just keep that original or the second location inside a gym? Like, were there some constraints in regards to like spacing and all that, or like you guys kind of outgrew it or like, what were the reasons as to why you guys 
left that gym where there's a lot of people right there that get injured that could just like literally walk a few feet over to a table or a, another room that's in that facility. Did you guys just outgrow it or what, what was the thought process there? A little bit of a few different things. One, we outgrew it. We had two rooms in that gym. So it meant we could fit like three full-time equivalent therapists in there. And we were over full, had no room to grow out of that location. Uh, so we just, we just needed more space. So we doubled our capacity in our new standalone location. Also, one of our big emphasis is client experience. And you know, if, if you're inside of a gym, you don't have any control over the client experience. The music is what the gym decides. <laughs> if it smells inside the gym, it smells, it's loud. Uh, so we just had no control over our client experience. So we wanted a much more inviting atmosphere and we have a lot more control over our client experience. And honestly, our marketing approach had gotten to a point where less than 5% of our clients were coming from the gym itself. So we really weren't relying on that gym as a referral source anymore. Got it. And when you opened the second location, was the first location still in the gym or was it? Yeah. So yep. it was. So our first location was still in the gym. We were in the process of the build out, but that build out hadn't happened. Actually, I wasn't. It wasn't even on my radar to open a second location, but we had one of the biggest CrossFit gyms in the city come to us and ask us for uh, ask us to open in their location. I wasn't interested. They asked a few more times. I finally said it was too good of an opportunity to pass up, and we just kind of took a risk and figured out how to make it work. And it was a little bit messy at first, but we just kind of figured out our systems for opening another location as we went. And uh, why would that second location, the, the largest in the DC area, reach out to you guys? Did you or any of your PTs work out there, or they knew you from like Instagram or something? Like, how did they already know of you guys? Uh, they were already our clients. We treat a ton of CrossFitters in in DC. Uh, we've got good relationships with a lot of CrossFit gyms in the city, so we we were already treating their their both of the owners actually. Got it. Okay. And so originally you turned them down, and then they were persistent, which in business is always a great thing. Uh, they yeah. they weren't afraid of you saying no several times, and they kept at it. And then you eventually, you know, pursued it. Yeah, honestly, I just I just kind of said like, you know, it's too good of an opportunity to pass up. We'll figure it out. Uh, we'll make it work. Uh, it was a little bit messy. We made it work. You know, they they had approached a couple other physical therapists as well that didn't jump on it, and we finally jumped on it and took advantage of it. Now it's awesome. It's great, great, great partnership. Got it. Anything else initially now before we jump into the spreadsheet here, the Google Doc, and we can kind of fill out this table a little bit, get a little more like color into like your options and how I would think of something like this type of a decision. Anything else initially before we get into it? Uh, no, I don't think so. All right, cool. So here we go. Again, if you are uh, listening on iTunes, Spotify, on the YouTube for this episode, we're going to have a little bit of a table breakdown. We're going to fill it in with some stuff here. And uh, this is like an old-fashioned, like not necessarily like a pros and cons list, but like this is like some foundational thing that like I think Ben Franklin and like the <laughs> the original founders would usually do. It's kind of like if we're gonna make this big decision. And I know so Jesse also in the pre-interview mentioned this is not like you're not looking to do this like next month or next quarter, but in the next year, like this is something that you're certainly looking to do. So I like the old-fashioned charts. I like you know pros and cons or like this versus that, and let's you know on the the x-axis here, we have like the startup, the de novo, the build out, and then with merging or acquiring and those two kind of facing off. And then on the y-axis here of this chart or this table, we're going to go through some things such as cost. So the rent, you know, square footage and the build out versus a potential acquisition, which we'll kind of hypothesize a little bit of like maybe your local competitors and size and all that. Timeline, staffing and recruiting and hiring. 
as well as marketing to then, you know, get those therapists busy, the timeline and the cost for that. And then a big piece, which, and these are in no real particular order, but the big piece as well, culture, morale, and training. And because if anyone's going to open up a, their next clinic, then it's really your DNA. It's like your own training. It's your processes kind of from day one uh, versus if a practice owner is buying or merging with a, a competitor or some other colleagues practice, there might be some resistance there. There might be a culture clash. There might be a whole host of things which could come in conflict. So this hopefully will provide a little bit more clarity to, to you, Jesse. And when you reached out about this, I was like, hey, this would this would make for a great call, a great episode that I can just, you know, if you're cool with recording it, let's record it. Let's get it out there because there's probably a lot of other practice owners watching or listening that might be at this stage, they might not be looking to get out. I mean, you're still, you know, fairly young and healthy. And so you guys are looking to grow and you could grow internally, which we always want to do. And then also you could grow externally via acquisitions or, or mergers or partnerships. So we can get into it. When you reached out, Jesse, is this kind of what you, the scaffolding of this type of an idea, is this kind of something that you thought about? Are there things here that maybe initially we are overlooking and, and there's something I need to add to this? No, I think this is perfect, right? It's, it's a question of, of cost. How quickly can we build something up? And I think I'd actually be curious for, for your thoughts. To me, finding the right people, whether it's growing internally or acquiring, probably is the hardest piece, at least what I would consider like the hardest piece. So I'm curious your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing, one example that is a little, it's not exactly a comparison, but do you know, you know, Jeff Moore, I'm assuming like ICE Physio yeah. and the yep. uh, Onward Health yep. or Onward PC. What, so I, I won't mention, you know, I, and I'll, I, maybe I'll have him on the show and he can kind of describe it more, but he has an approach where he has his new therapist, as far as I recall, uh, either own, I think they own like a big percentage of those locations. And it's a little bit of a different model. Like you obviously would be, you would still own the lion's share of, let's just say your third location, whatever that third location is going to be in the next year, Jesse, you're probably going to own over 50% of it. Let's just assume that, right? Yep. But the other 49%, it could be still owned by that original practice owner down the street. It could also be owned by one of your current clinic directors who maybe that location is closer to their home or whatever, or it could be owned by the clinic director that's already in that other office. That's your competitor down the street. Now that takes a whole host of, you know, phone calls and zooms and meetings and under, like building rapport and a relationship. Cause it's like a long-term relationship. It's like a business marriage, right? Yeah, so sure. these are just some of the initial thoughts that, certainly would come into play that could make things smooth or could make things challenging. I mentioned, you know, like there could be resistance from the newly partnered or acquired practice. There could be resistance from the staff, the front desk folks, any billing people. And it's going to, it's, you know, it's going to be really pertinent for you to like evaluate all that. And we have no idea because it's like, we're kind of just talking about, you know, high level stuff right now, but we can get into that. But your your thoughts are a little bit around or your idea around what I was thinking for just building out versus merging and acquiring. I think initially it's like, well, we're focused a little bit more on the partnerships, the acquiring component, because there's a lot of favorable things there. There's a lot of goodwill in the community. It's been around for call it 10 years or longer. 
there's a past patient list and you and I were talking about marketing on the pre-interview, you can immediately start marketing. You can immediately start sending email marketing or paper letters and, and mailers to people's homes to kind of reactivate them or reactivate their neighbors, their family members, whatever. There's a lot of positives about a merger or an acquisition. And then the build out is a little bit more of what you've already gone through, right? Like the first and second yep. location, you already have experience there, but you would have less experience on the the merger or the acquisition side of things, right? Yep, never done that before. So that would be that'd be a huge learning curve for sure. Then I mean, we could put that in the con. If we're doing pros and cons, that would definitely be on the con, right? Right. And oh, so, or it, could be, or, it could be, or it could be a pro if I like to learn new things. So, right, right. So let's get into this. Let's get into the Denovo a build out and the cost for a build out would be obviously it's going to vary. It's going to depend on. So you're in DC, a little bit more expensive than other rural places, right? Um, yep. When you think about the cost, like, and you can certainly go over whatever was recently in the, the first or second location or, you know, cost ranges. We're going to talk about square footage and, and leases and, and that type of stuff. So why don't we just jump into that a bit? Yeah. So if we, if we take what we've already done to project forward. So what we've done twice is started off very small in a gym, which gives us very little overhead at first. So for our second location, it cost us, I think around 12,000 to, build everything. And that might even be a little bit high. You know, the benefits of starting in a gym, you know, we don't really need to buy that much equipment. Hopefully there's already a room built out. So if we continue to take that approach, the cost is, is pretty low to build out a new new clinic. I've heard some spend 150K to 250K. Is that like... So if, if that, we now... That would be completely from scratch? That would be completely from scratch. So our standalone location would have cost that for sure if we want to start with the standalone location. But if we stick with the same approach we've already done, where we start in a gym, start small, and slowly grow from there with one provider, then it's it's a very low overhead, you know, maybe maybe six to twelve K and we can get rolling. Got it. Got it. What else for cost, right? So also figuring out like lease terms. What are the lease terms? Is it the landlords that you've interacted with, is it like you're asking for as long as possible? Do you just get like a three to five year? Do you get a five to seven? Do you get over 10? Like what, what have you, what is your preference? And then what have you seen from the landlord side of things? Yeah. So again, if we take what we've already done with the internal to a gym, those have been around two years to start with. So there's not a ton of uh, commitment up front. Our standalone location that we just got into, uh, we got a lot, I mean, we got our full build out paid for, we got eight months free rent. But to do that, we signed a nine-year lease. So again, pros and cons of doing standalone versus versus starting in a gym and also big, big differences. How did you think of that being like the difference between two years and nine years is quite a big difference, quite a big gap. So you are locked in there. So it's like you really are... Do you perceive it as being like a big leap of faith? Or how did you go around? Like, how did you think of that type of a decision? Like you already knew that there was enough, you had a team, you had enough patient demand to kind of fill the, which we'll get into in regards to like staffing, recruiting, marketing, all that. How did you think of the difference between like a two-year and a nine-year lease? Yeah, great question. So when we did our standalone, the thought of a nine-year lease was was terrifying, right? That was, at that point, I had been in business total of four years. So the lease was more than double what we'd already been in business for. So for sure, it was terrifying. But running the actual financial numbers and getting into like the projections made it a little bit less scary because I could actually look at, okay, you know, if we've got our budget all 
spreadsheet it out, I can be a little bit more specific with, okay, we need this number of clients. Our conversion rate is this. So we need this many of leads. Our marketing is, is projected to bring this many in. So it made it a little bit less scary once I actually like dove into what we actually needed to do. And then, you know, we had a, we had a track record there for a few years of pretty consistent growth for the new location, having a two year, not a ton of commitment. That was great. So, you know, that's, that's another benefit of starting in a gym is, you know, those owners aren't necessarily looking for like eight, nine years. They're just looking for a little bit of extra income from this spare room or spare space in their, in their gym that they've already paid for. Got it. And the range of the 12 K to 250 K that would include like, like new walls and new paint and like, everything carpet floor whatever might be equipment for the front desk like computers like everything wi-fi all that like all in yep we uh we built out a 700 square foot gym with a squat rack and barbells and full dumbbell set and kettlebells uh cardio equipment uh at our standalone space uh so yeah that would that would include all that got it and what's the uh what's the going rate in dc for square footage well it depends um Probably anywhere from like 28 to 38 a square foot. Uh, I would say 28 to 45 a square foot if I wanted to get like, you know, window space on a on a fourth level floor with good view or something like that. But we've got, so far we've done basement locations just to save costs because we don't really need that view. But 28 to 45 would probably be a good good range. Yeah, I was just going to ask you if you guys are like street level, like, you know, so basement, basement level. Base, our standalone space is basement, basement level. With, uh, with elevators? I mean, you, what if you have patients yeah. with like lower extremity issues? Elevators. They can't, they can't do stairs. Okay. So they're, so elevators. Yep. All right. Uh, what else, anything else for the uh, startup, the, the, the Novo side in regards to like cost and build out? Not really. The only other thing I would say is, uh, as far as what I know, like, uh, renting one treatment room in a gym, that's probably around like 2000 to $2,400 a month. So there, so that would be like one treatment room for let's say 2200 a month. If we rent from a gym. Two to two K, did you say? Yeah, somewhere around there. Two to two to twenty five hundred a month. Okay. And with your experience in doing that, are they usually month to month or you lock in? Is there some period where you're locked in for a year or so or no? Yeah, both of the ones I've signed so far have been locked in for two years and then month to month after that. Got it. Okay. And not like initially when you guys did it, it was not month to month initially. It was like lock in for a two year period. Yep, lock in for a two year period. And that lock in for a two year period transitioning to a month to month is nice because if we can grow fast enough, then we can transition this second location into its own standalone space, which is kind of our, our organic growth goal right now. Got it. All right. And so does it make more sense to jump over to the merger acquisition side of things in regards to cost? Or do you want to go this way down the uh, the table here to timeline and staffing and the other components and then jump over to the merger or acquisition? Uh, let's, let's go, let's stay vertical and, uh, stick with, uh, what happens if we build out, uh, organically. All right. So timeline, I mean, obviously a lot of factors here, uh, yeah. pretty much all the, all the, the, the components below, right. But how yeah. would you think of that? So you've opened, you went from zero to one, one to two timeline for those build outs can range from what to what. Yeah. So again, if we stay in the same model we've done where we rent in a gym that can get turned around in three to four months. Uh, that can be super easy, really quick. Like I said, the one we were not even planning on, our second location, that happened in probably 10 weeks. And I think I drove my staff crazy to do that, but we were able to to turn that around in like 10 weeks. Our standalone space, that's where, I mean, that took us 
18 months between starting to look and build out finally completed. So big, big range there. Right. So it's going to depend on the size and the scale and how much like you find a new location and how much, like what was previously there? Like, was it already, I don't know, like a medical office or a, a physical therapy office, or was it some other, you know, I don't know, like a store or something, some, something else where it requires a lot of walls to be removed or added, or I don't know, like bathrooms and restrooms added or subtracted, things like that. Right. Yeah. The nice thing about our standalone space is it, it actually was a blank just floor plan. And I think they were actually planning on turning it into the building gym, but it ended up being perfect for us because it was basement level. Nobody else wanted to rent it. Uh, so we looked at a couple other offices that would have needed a lot more restructuring. The other downside about our approach, you know, with CrossFitters, powerlifters, Olympic weightlifters, you know, being on the fourth floor, we're dropping heavy weights. So we're kind of limited to ground floor or, or basement level. Got it. Or inside of a gym. Right, right. Anything else? So floor plan restructuring, then, the, you know, like lower uh, basement level or, or street level in regards to like dropping weights. If you're having, you're getting like CrossFitters back to health and you want to, you know, load them up and, and get them progress to the point where they're kind of doing a lot of their exercises with you in your clinic before they go back to their gym or the like a full class. Yep. Anything else that would affect this timeline? You know, the negotiations, you know, took forever. It might have been, I think I actually had a pretty, pretty terrible commercial broker. Hopefully he doesn't listen to your podcast, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but it, having, uh, if I was to negotiate another uh, commercial lease, I would definitely find a good broker. And I, yeah, I, I learned a big lesson from, from that negotiation process for sure. So this was a broker that was representing you on yep. finding a location? Yep. Got it. Anything else for timeline? I don't think so. Uh, obviously, you know, you, 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 are, know, you, are, you are, yeah. So equipment, um, if it's available, what yep. else? Equipment and materials. You know, there was a big supply chain issue, so that that took that took some extra time. I don't think there's as much. There wasn't as much of an equipment backlog, but obviously for part of COVID, that you know, finding gym equipment was impossible. So that that's definitely something to keep in mind. Right. Okay. So let's say, all right, boom. You figured out the cost. You understand a timeline depending on which of these locations, whether it's in the gym or a standalone separate location. What's the next thing? Staffing and recruiting before the marketing? Yep. All right. So what was going through your head with that? Did you have to start hiring separate therapists? Did you have therapists move from one location to the second location? Obviously, it could have been any of that. It really depends on you, the practice owner watching or listening. It depends on, you know, Jesse, it depends on your situation. So what did you guys do? Let's say from either from zero to one or from one to two, how did you go about with staffing and recruiting? Yeah. So our second location, I had a really strong team in my original location. So I actually didn't want to break that up to start the second location. So I, I looked outside of our current staff that we had and we, you know, I, I took the approach of just casting a really wide net, posting on Facebook groups, posting on Indeed, reaching out to literally every single person on my phone thinking about people I had met at continuing education courses and followed online. So I just cast a really wide net and ended up being somebody that, that I had known for a really long time. Didn't even think she was interested. She was thinking about leaving the field. So I texted her and said, Hey, do you know any other physical therapists that might be interested in opening this clinic for us? She said, well, what about me? And just kind of went from there. So, but I will say had an offer in place, ready to go with a therapist before that. 
he backed out. He got a little bit nervous about like opening a new clinic. So, you know, it can take some time to find somebody that, that really wants to put in the work to, to open a new clinic. Got it. So for you, it was, you were building a pipeline. You were putting a lot of feelers out in a lot of different areas, right? Yep. Yep. And since then I've realized, so I've put a lot of work into having a regular pipeline right now. So we've got, we've got multiple PTs we can reach out to right now that are interested in working for us. We've got multiple PTs that want to work for us. So our pipeline's a little stronger now than it was back then. Got it. My, uh, my team member and colleague, Sturdy McKee calls that uh, a bench uh, yep. or a pipeline, which basically is like um, practice owners should pretty much be always recruiting and sometimes you're collecting these individuals, you're, you're, you're making different contact points with them. You have the resume. It might've been three or six months ago, but like now let's say you met, you got a new resume today, Jesse, let's just say, and then six months from now, this person might be ready to leave where they're at. And then maybe they might help you with this third location or whatever it might be, whether it's an acquisition or a build out, but it building this pipeline, knowing that, and this took me a bit of time to learn, which is like, if they're not the right fit, or if they are the right fit culturally, and they exude your core values and all that, and there's alignment there, you might have offered a great offering, like with opportunity and the compensation might be there or whatever. But some people, like you said, they might get a little, they might get cold feet, whatever. Humans in general don't like change. You and I know that we all know that. Um, sure. And so they, they might not be ready to leave that current role just because of the change or whatever it might be. So with this, do you touch base with some of these folks? Do you uh, send emails or, you know, touch base with them on LinkedIn or like, how do you, I'm just curious, like, we didn't really plan this part, but yep. like, do you cultivate, do you cultivate this pipeline or this bench in regards to knowing, because like I said, this took me a while to learn. If it's not right now, it was kind of like, oh, I thought it was like, so it's then never. And that's, that's wrong. It's kind of like, it's a, an ongoing professional relationship and it might be better for both parties in three or six or eight months from now. Yeah, big time. So I didn't do this at first either, but I put a big emphasis on this lately and I just can't tell you how, how uh, helpful it's been. Our, our most recent therapist that we hired three months ago, who's awesome, she initially interviewed with us uh, 18 months ago and I just stayed in touch with her regularly. We know we invited her to our clinical meetings. We invited her to some of our happy hours. And it was such an easy onboarding process because she was already basically a part of our culture by the time she started. Uh, I'll I'll meet with any physical therapist anytime, grab a coffee, eat lunch with them. And if, if I think they're a good cultural fit, I'm upfront with them and say, you know, we don't have any opening now. But if I think they're a good cultural fit, you know, I'll I'll touch base with them every couple months. I've got a list of people that I try to touch base with every month. Hey, you want to grab a drink? You want to grab lunch? What's going on with you? How can I help you? I just take the approach of like, how can I help them? And I just try and stay in touch with all these people. And it's been so helpful. You know, I've got lots of friends in DC that that can't find a good candidate. And we've got multiple people that that want to work with us. So it's been really, really helpful for us. Got it. That's awesome. So sourcing candidates and then cultivating that pipeline, that bench kind of touching base, touching in with them. Like you said, emails, meeting up, coffees, you know, grab a beer, grab a coffee, grab whatever, lunch, whatever it might be. That's awesome. A really smart thing I saw a practice do here in New York City is they will do, I'm drawing a blank, like they will do a, like mixers almost, or they'll do like 
a couple different practices here in New York City. One will do like, you know, like a resume writing workshop for like new grads, like new new grad PTs, maybe like they're still in school or in like the last year of school or they're like new grads. Um, and it's genius. It's like you, they're getting these DPTs, you know, their contact information, et cetera, like in their system, maybe even before they're maybe before they're a graduate, maybe before they get their license or whatever. And then I've seen some of these others that'll do like, you know, like the journal clubs and all these other things that yep. I like your approach of like the one-to-one, or you could certainly, you know, say that you want to take out maybe two or three or four of them at the same time and, and meet at a certain place. But either way, I mean, I think that's a great approach to kind of cultivating this pipeline. Yeah. I, lo- I love the next idea. We might have to do some of that. There you go. Take it. Anything else in regards to, so this is the focus right now, building out a, a de novo startup location. We're talking about staffing, recruiting, and hiring. Anything else before we jump to the next part? Uh, I don't think so. So you want to go into the culture, morale, or training next? Because that kind of flows from the, the, the recruiting. Or do you want to go to the marketing, uh, getting new patients in for that location? We can probably go to the culture, morale, and training. Uh, and I don't know if you think it's beneficial to talk about like a salary structure, payment structure, bonus structure here. Or if you don't think that's quite necessarily like super important to think about now. Let's add it. That would be what uh, compensation separate um, yeah. separate row. Yep. So comp and uh, benefit structure. You said comp and bonuses. You know, especially if they're if they're starting a new a new clinic. Yeah, love it. Okay, so what are you thinking there? Like, what what have you done, and how has it worked out? Yeah. So what we've done so far is tried a lot of different approaches, actually. So what we've done so far is I think a lot of past practices to a lower base and then a much higher ceiling based on number of clients seen. And we did that for our first two therapists and we found that it caused a lot of stress. So we actually got away from that from our staff therapist and we just give them a really nice salary and we found that they actually produce really well off of that. So for for our staff therapist, we've done a little bit of everything, but for everybody, what we've done and our new, our clinic manager for the new location, we gave her solid base salary for eight months as a ramp up. And then for three months, two months transition, slightly lower base with a little bit of a bonus. And now she's got a much lower base, but her ceiling goes up uh, pretty high uh, at the 10 month mark if, yeah, you know, the, the clinic is profitable. So we kind of had this transition of like, she gets a lot of security up front for eight months. And then we've got this four month transition period three-month transition period where she's rewarded, but the clinic has to produce. Got it. So I just typed this here into the table just for you to recap it if I got it wrong. So salary, what you said as an example, salary and a small bonus to start until maybe you said eight months or then a transitional period. And so you said something about a two or three month window. Yeah, it's two or three month window where her salary dropped a little bit, but she also started to get a larger bonus. And then the next transition point, her salary dropped even more, but the bonus went up even more. So it's kind of as a transition from pure salary to commission based, basically, or profit sharing, if you want to call it that. So either profit sharing or this was based more on her own productivity and she was the, was she the only therapist there or were there multiple she's, therapists? Yeah, she's the only therapist. So it's based on her own productivity. So we're thinking about hiring a therapist probably in three months for her. And then we'll probably transition to profit sharing. So it's not solely based on her productivity. It makes a ton of sense. Does that help you sleep better at night knowing that you're kind of maybe de-risking the situation because you have someone that has maybe not skin in the game. It's not like she 
and maybe if she did, you let me know. It's not like she cut a check to build out some of this, right? So there, no. they, but at least you know that they are, I mean, they should feel appreciated compared to if it was just 100% salary. Yeah, there's definitely pros and cons. I've gone back and forth because it has to be, uh, what I found, at least with our staff, is it has to be the right person. Some people really respond well to that. And other people, uh, the stress of the stress of needing to produce, they didn't love it. Even if they were producing, they didn't love that uncertainty month to month. And from what I'm hearing in other cash practices, if you structure it so risky to the therapist, they're like, well, F it. I'm just going to go open my own place. So I changed my philosophy a little bit and I had to be a little bit careful not to make it so risky to the therapist that they're like, well, if I'm taking this risk, I'm just going to go open my own clinic. Yeah, which certainly could throw a wrench in uh, your growth and expansion plans, right? Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Okay. Certainly makes sense. I have some thoughts there. I don't know. Maybe I'll answer them in with the merger and acquisition side of things and we can kind of kind of cross back over this side of the fence to the other. Anything else for comp and bonuses? I think you pretty much gave out some some good details. And these are great things for other practice owners to kind of check in and and uh, and maybe think about and consider and maybe even, you know, implementing or testing. Yeah, we've done it. Honestly, we've tested a bunch of different stuff and just try to see what works. And thankfully, my staff has been open to different ideas. And obviously, it's a two-way conversation for sure. And I, I constantly tell them like, hey, if you're not comfortable, like talk to me and we'll figure out something. You mentioned about um, if it's too risky to a staff therapist, then they might say, well, screw it. I'll just go open up my own place. I had a great therapist through COVID and, you know, he went and left and opened up his own mobile practice here in New York city. Not at, not like mobile. So great. He's doing, he's doing great. He takes Medicare. We don't. So it's like a little bit of a competitor, but like maybe, maybe not directly, like not a big deal. Yeah. Um, and he happened to be a, uh, an independent contractor. So he was, you know, paid per visit. It was probably maybe more risky for him. And, you know, he's like, Hey, I could just go out and start my own thing. Yep. What are your what are your thoughts around this? I feel like if I had potentially, and maybe I'm wrong, but maybe if I had paid this therapist more, I feel like he was probably the type that he would have gone and done his own thing anyway. How do you think of that in regards to therapists that unless they are, I don't know, cutting a check for your third location and they're actually going to be owning some, they're going to be doing some profit sharing potentially. We can get into it when we get into the merger and acquisition side of things some profit sharing, plus they own some long-term equity uh, versus someone that has a salary and maybe some productivity, some some upside, some bonus. Um, is that something that you're able to identify, you know, certain therapists that like maybe are like they're rock stars, but like maybe they're so independent, like they're going to maybe leave anyway. And, you know, is it possible to, you know, keep them longer or not? Like, do you ever think of that? Yeah, trust me, all, all, every day. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it keeps everybody up, up up at night, right? I don't know if it's possible to identify, you know, I've tried to identify in the interview process who, you know, who's going to have that drive and who wants to just go after it. And I, I don't even know if it's, well, I should say, I haven't been able to identify that in the interview process. Sometimes that just kind of comes out, you know, as people are working. But, you know, even if they don't open up their own clinic, what I've found a couple friends of mine, so... Not that we've had therapists for forever, but you know, none of our therapists have ever left. Multiple of my friends in DC, they've had therapists leave and because they're compensated, like so they went to home health or they went to the hospital or they went somewhere else because they wanted to make more money. 
So we pay a little bit higher than market rate. And maybe, you know, instead of 33% of the revenue they bring in, we pay around 38%. But if that gives them a little bit more stability, even if they're not open up their own clinic, maybe it prevents them from going to the hospital or going to home health. Right. And also, I don't, are you familiar with uh, are you familiar with Adam Grant? Yes. So, you know, one of one of one of his podcasts actually, you know, changed my philosophy on this is you know, there's research that shows like do, do bonuses actually motivate people? And it what he says is bonuses don't actually motivate people. If you pay people kind of a higher salary, they'll actually produce up to that level rather than forcing them to hit a certain level to to hit that bonus. Yeah. It's like why do people volunteer and coach Little League or the PTA or you mentioned the pre-interview, a, a mentor and a coach of that is doing really well and like they do it because they probably want to and they like you, but they are not like, you know, they're not get if they're already well off and, and wealthy, like they're not it's not gonna make a big dent or it's not gonna, you know, go it's not gonna move the needle one way or the other if they're, you know, coaching someone like you at, at this point. So yep. All right. So we talked about compensation and bonuses. Let's get into culture morale and training for a de novo clinic. So you went again zero to one, one to two. What were your thought processes and you know systems or you know just briefly high level type stuff? How did you think about culture and morale and training? Yeah, we've got a pretty solid onboarding process. A lot of our backend systems are are pretty well built out. You know, since we're cash, we're pretty high. You know, we charge two fifty a session. You know, we've got to have really strong sales process. So all that's built out, and we've done it you know, five times now, and all of our therapists have been really successful. So our, our onboarding process for both culture and training for, for new therapists is, is been reproduced and, and it's gone pretty smoothly for, for each of our hires at this point. Excellent. Reproducibility is certainly uh, helpful there. Um, yep. And as I mentioned already, like for that new location, it's really like you and your team from day one, as opposed to the difference with a, a merger or acquisition. Um, yeah. And, and I, I will say going into this, like the interview process for me is very like, the, the, I look at the culture and morale way more important than I look at anything else in the interview process. So by interviewing people, I'm hopefully self-selecting that our onboarding process is going to be successful. Absolutely. So I'm just typing that you playbook and processes for onboarding that's reproducible and identifying those folks in the interviewing process anything else there? I mean, huge component. I kind of, I think we kind of talked, we interweave this a little bit in the other components yep. because at the end of the day, it's like the culture and morale for you and district performance and every other practice owner watching or listening, it, it's kind of interwoven in between all these things other than like the cost and like the fixed like dollar amounts and all that. But then with the staffing, the recruiting, like you said, your ads, compensation bonus, all those interactions, all that is like, you know, your culture morale your uh, like DNA of your, your practice. And then, you know, kind of gets right into like you training your team members and having like systems already drawn out and a playbook kind of already ready to roll. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Anything else there before we move on to marketing and attracting new patients, getting that schedule filled up? I think so. All right. So you did send over in the email. I don't have it handy. I I had it up, but um, do you remember what your average cost would be or timeline? I think you said, I think you said like 15K getting a therapist busy in, was it three months or seven months or something like that? Uh, yeah. I mean, her schedule is overbooked and she's been there 10 months, right? So it probably took her eight months to get a full schedule. And between you know Google ads and some SEO, uh, we probably spent between 12 and 15K uh, for marketing. And that was over that eight months or like more yeah. front-loaded, if you recall? 
I would say total, but, but kind of spread out between those months. Got it. And in the pre-interview, you mentioned a little bit of Facebook ads. Facebook ads and Google ads are where we spend, uh, sorry, Facebook ads, Google ads, and SEO are where we spend most of our marketing dollars. We do a ton of community marketing, but that doesn't, that's not a huge cost. That's more of a time cost than a, than a dollar cost. Yeah. But it's still in the marketing bucket, right? Cause it's, it's, it's either time or dollars and you yeah. put, you put the dollars in the Facebook or Google ads or SEO. The SEO is like your planting seeds. Those seeds are going to grow in the yep. next, you know, six months or 12 months or whatever. Yep. Or the the community events, which could be free, or maybe you sponsor for I don't know, hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks, like a a table or a banner or whatever. But it's really like the time it takes to like meet new folks and get your name out there and yep. build those relationships, right? Yeah, and also the time I would say like the time it takes to train someone to market. Most physical therapists aren't used to marketing, so what I found is it takes a ton of time to to teach them how to actually network and market. Right. Awesome. Anything else that has, what about like, do you guys do workshops or like talks and things like that? Yeah, we do a ton of community events. We're starting to host our own workshops. We've run, we only run one of those, which is really successful. We do, we've got, I think five workshops set up in September. So we, we try to get out in the community and do talks and workshops and seminars as much as possible. Got it. Anything else there from the marketing component that we overlooked or skipped over? No, I don't think so. By opening a new clinic, we were able to market to our current clients and saying, "Hey, we're we're over here at this location. So, you know, if it's, if this one's closer to you, uh, we we definitely could could help you over here instead of our our main location, which is downtown." Right. That's awesome. And you would reactivate that or by emails or how would you guys do that? Uh, emails, and we also manually call and text people on a regular basis. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Any recap? We're gonna go quickly through the merger acquisition side. Anything else? I mean, we covered this pretty uh, in a detailed way, I think. Anything else that we skipped over or just a, a final thought here on the building out? I don't think so. All right. So uh, let's get into it. Now, I don't know if you do know the size or the, maybe we do like an average size of competitors nearby. And when I say that, let's say the the independents. So like not the corporates, because obviously the corporates aren't going to sell to you yeah. or partner most likely. And you want to keep, yeah. you know, I'm assuming you want to keep district performance, the name. So uh, of the independents that are nearby, are they mostly two or three therapists? Are they, you know, are there some solos? Are there some that are like monsters that are like, I don't know, five or some locations, five or 10 therapists? Yeah, especially for cash base, which is probably what all I would consider. Uh, I don't think I'd want to go through the process of transitioning in network to to out of network. Probably between one and three therapists. Uh, there's one, you know, pretty large player uh, in Northern Virginia that's probably 2.5 million, which you know has a huge number. But the majority are somewhere between one and three therapists. There's some that are four and five, but that's a that's about as big as it gets. Okay, and the ones that are nearby, they are. And, and real quick, the current practice, your district performance, do you guys bill out-of-network insurance benefits or do you charge every single visit, every single patient, every visit, the 250 at the time of service? We have package rates, but we, we charge every single client that time of service and they can submit if they want to. We actually submit for them, but we don't deal with insurance at all. Got it. So you don't get insurance payments at all? No insurance reimbursement nope. checks, whatever? Okay. Zero. So the ones nearby that you would consider acquiring would be out of network and they might be they may be billing out of network benefits like we do like we bill out of network benefits we've got a medical biller that does so if the patient doesn't have out of network benefits then we say here's the private pay rate 
and they say yes or no. So yep. the ones that are nearby for you, are there at least a few that are similar in a similar business model or are they like mostly all in network or there's some that are yeah, out of network, but they're not cash based hundred percent. Yeah, I don't know about other I don't know about other cities, but there are a ton of cash physical therapists in DC. I mean, our previous location on the on the quarter on the street, not even the block, but like the quarter street of the block, there was four other cash physical therapists just on that um block. So there's there's cash practices everywhere in DC. And you said one of three therapists. So would you say that a lot of them are in the seven hundred thousand to a million dollars in revenue range, or what do you think? Probably lower than that. Probably like, like five hundred. Probably somewhere around five hundred. Okay. Now we've had some practice owners reach out to us, maybe in their forties, but more so they're in their fifties or sixties or seventies. So that's a component in regards to a partnership or acquisition. If you're going to merge, then obviously they could be, you know, in their thirties or forties. They could be younger and they want to, you know, have some scale. We can go into the cost real quick. Let's say if they're doing 500K, let's just say they're doing at least 100K, we'll say in adjusted EBITDA. So basically like their cash flow, their net margin after the ad back. So the practice owner might have you know some of their personal items on the business books if they're paid a market rate. And basically, this would be 20% of 500K. So 500K in revenue, 20%, 100K. So 20% margins, you guys might be doing better than that, which then you could you know, grow and improve that. So let's just say this would be the approximate range of EBITDA. Maybe we're just hypothesizing here. Um, and for this type of size of practice, it might be a, I don't know, a two to four X multiple of EBITDA. And so this type of a practice owner probably would want to sell for, you know, Four to five hundred k. It really depends. Are they going to sell one hundred percent to you versus are they going to keep some and then you're going to you're going to maybe acquire fifty one percent or or sixty or seventy percent. Let's say sale price four hundred to five hundred k. And how do you think you'd pay for that? I know we talked in the pre interview in regards to commercial debt and SBA loans, and there's a lot of favorable terms. There's commercial debt that's not an SBA loan where you may not have to sign a personal guarantee. If we use an SBA loan, you do have to sign a personal guarantee for anyone that's over 20%, 20% or more on that, which would be you and any of your any of your team members if they're you know partners. So any thoughts there in regards to like this type of a sale price? Um, we can say commercial debt versus SBA loan. And if it's SBA, there would be a personal guarantee PG. What are your thoughts here on I'm just I'm just back of the knack in math here with like a hypothetical practice. So what do you what do you think? Give me some feedback. Yeah, I mean, you know, for that for that sale price, uh, we would definitely need to take on some debt. Um to back up slightly, what I would ideally love is, you know, like you said, like most people who are looking to sell 50, 60s, but what I what I see in the market is younger cash physical therapists who don't love the systems and the operations and that side of things. They just want to market. They want to network. They want to see their clients. So if they would want to do 51 to me or even 40, yeah, 51 to me and just allow me to like optimize everything and allow them to grow from there, that's kind of the ideal person I'm, I would be looking to because that's where I think I could provide value is, you know, we've done the cash practice thing. We've got our sales process. We got our marketing. We can add to what you're already doing rather than like taking over your entire thing. 
do you think that they would want to give up? And I'm just being a little uh, devil's advocate yeah. here. If they are, let's say, in their 30s or 40s, do you think they want to give up 51% in exchange for... Now, I know how valuable the back end would be. That You already have everything built out. You probably have a playbook for everything, for recruiting, for onboarding, for training, for the sales presentation, selling packages, reactivating patients, emails, all that type of stuff. It is a ton yeah. of value that you probably... And I'm assuming you... You know, I, I know you know it. And some of it is like, you probably have no idea how valuable it could be to an independent cash-based therapist. What would be the pitch to them to say, hey, um, we could certainly partner, and but it, it's not going to be worth your while, right? If you can't get 51%, same thing with us. Right. So 51% might be high for someone that's, that's in their 30s. Right. Uh, there are some cash practice owners that are much older than that in DC, because I, again, I think DC is, I don't know about New York, but I think DC is a little bit separate of a market where cash practices have been around for, for forever. So I definitely know some cash practice owners that are, that are in their fifties. But even if, even if we take less than 50%, you know, can we take that $100,000 EBITDA to, you know, 300,000 by implementing some systems? And if we, you know, if we get, let's say 20% of that and we do that three or four times, okay, now we're talking. Now we're starting to roll things into, you know, a bigger operation. We're streamlining systems. We are sharing marketing. So, you know, even if we're only getting, let's say 20%, that's a, I think that's a better pitch to the owner. And if we do that enough times, now we're starting to build off of each other and, and really share some back end systems. Yeah, absolutely. I think maybe we could talk about this on another another uh, episode. But there are some folks I know a, a dental broker, Chris Vandeford, who's been on the show before, and a dentist, Todd Russell, Doctor Todd Russell, in the Cleveland, Ohio area. And the last time I met up with them when they visited here in New York City, they were talking about a. It's almost like a. It's like a. It takes a lot. Of, it's, it takes a lot of time, but it's like a. I'll call it like a, virtual, uh, like a verbal merger. Um, they talked about how, you know, if they're all, let's say they're all valued at like three X EBITDA, right? Yep. So whatever that multiple might be, it's more or less depending on interest rates, whatever. Um, but if they merge five or 10 practices together, obviously they'd have to have all the same EMR and you have to kind of have some synergies on the back end or whatever, but let's, and that takes some time. And some of them will fall out of that because they're like, I don't want to switch my EMR and then have to train my staff or whatever. But, um, there are some folks that are doing this where, they're kind of like, hey, we could all, you know, band together and we have strength in numbers. And then we have, we could share, you know, best practices. We could share labor potentially and team members, you know, like coverage yep. and all that type of stuff. We could share um, the best practices around marketing and whatever. And then in the future, if we were ever to sell and package up our practices in a portfolio of groups of a group in the DC area, you could then sell for, you know, maybe seven or eight X, but yep. separately, you're all at maybe three or four X. And so that's like the scale because the bigger buyers that are private equity or whatever, they typically like to buy groups or portfolios of practices. And they use kind of like the in-between buyers to kind of build a portfolio like from, from scratch and, and kind of consolidate some of these practices together. So you could, thinking about the next five or 10 years, you could actually be one of the you know, the DC physical therapy leader of that. And it could certainly start with you just acquiring 20 or 30% in minority stake of some of these practices. Yeah, I think, I mean, like, that's what brought this whole idea in my head is this happens in multiple other industries in healthcare, especially 
And in insurance-based practices, it hasn't quite happened in the cash-based world yet, but I'm assuming as the cash-based world grows, it's going to happen. So is there a way I can I can be involved in that process before it hits you know, the mainstream? Right. Uh, timeline is going to significantly vary. On the low end, we'll say three months, if a practice owner comes to you or I, Jesse, and says like, I have health issues, uh, my wife and I, or we're, we're moving to a different state, or they're, they're like, I'm done with this healthcare stuff. We're going to go travel the world. It really could be, it could even be faster than that, but it really is going to depend on the, my relationship with that seller and your relationship with that seller, if there's already a pre-existing relationship. And then obviously uh, it could go anywhere from, you know, nine to 12 months, like per, per location. And then uh, per deal, it depends uh, the, the bigger the practice that you partner or buy is going to take longer. It's just going to take more months to do, to perform due diligence and have, uh, at least for us, our law firm kind of dig in the books. I have a forensic accountant on my team, Marshall Sturman. So it depends on how complex the practice is. And if it's one practice or if it's like three practices or all that type of stuff. So uh, l- let me just jump into the next thing, staffing, recruiting, hiring, just for time's sake, but timeline is, is certainly going to vary. Any thoughts there? No, I'm going to agree with that. All right. So now staffing, recruiting, hiring. Now you're already going to have a, you're going to have an existing team. Some might leave. And then you use the bench assuming for us, like, and you're in a similar situation. So like I have a practice, I'm already doing a lot of these processes already, already have a playbook for this already, just like you. Right. So if you were going to buy the third location or partner or merge with that next location, you're going to use the pipeline here that you already have. This is the downside of like anyone that's a, uh, I don't know, a physical therapy practice buyer that doesn't already have a core business in physical therapy. I think, I mean, most do. No one, there's not that many buyers coming in and like they don't already have a core physical therapy practice business. Um, so again, you'll use your pipeline to staff this place if and when people leave, because again, people don't always like change and they might not like. Jesse, they might not like that you have a playbook for everything. They're going to like, oh, this, this, you know, this person's got a, a playbook or, or a process for everything, and we were used to kind of being, you know, laid back and all that, and and now it's like, oh, we're actually being tracked more, or we're, you know, maybe not productivity, but like some expectations, like you know, managing their expectations, and it might have gone, it might have gone from a laid back morale culture to a little bit more of a the way that you are with your clients and patients, like performance, like you want to get your patients back to whatever they want to do and performance is in your name. And so some of these existing therapists at this practice that you maybe just merged or acquired, they might not like that now they're being tracked and they're actually being managed and their performance is actually being viewed and and there's some oversight there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more of them. I'm sure we'll get more to it in culture and morale, but we track so much data and we, you know, we send scorecards out to every single team member every single month and we share our scorecards publicly every single Monday. So it's definitely, uh, it's definitely can be a culture shock to people that, that aren't used to it. Yeah. Again, for time's sake, let's say compensation and bonuses, let's just say same. Uh, obviously it, it depends if you identify, you go to merge and partner with a practice and you identify some rock stars, like maybe, you add, you know, different bonus structures to them to make sure that you retain them. If they are the right-hand person of that clinic, let's say the third location that you're looking to potentially buy Jesse in the DC area, let's say the owner 
wants to get out in their, re- their retirement age, but there was like a, I don't know, like a COO or a president or a clinic director or someone that may or may not, but I- ideally is a therapist would be great because then they can see patients and produce revenue, but they might not be. They might be like a rock star, I don't know, front desk person, admin person or something like that. And maybe, maybe they pony up some money to get some equity in the deal potentially. And that would have to be your conversation with that seller if the seller was going to get out. And if you guys were going to buy the majority. So compensation bonus, we'll say same. Cultural morale, I think this is the, I think this is like the most vital component of mergers or partnerships. Because we talked about it already several times. If there's a culture clash, it doesn't matter if you got a good deal on the price or you were able to buy it in a month or something and you had minimal legal fees or whatever. If there's a cultural morale issue, your A players, you bring A players in from your other locations maybe, or you bring in one team member that's from your first or second location, you get them in this third location, and maybe they have so much issue with the current morale and culture of that practice that you partnered with or acquired that they maybe say, I need to get out of here. I need you to move me back to the first or second location. Now for you, business-wise, it might be the best to not have them in that first or second location. So then what? They may be like, well, I'm out. I'm going to go start my own practice or whatever. The culture and the morale thing is vital. A couple things. I would love to get your feedback on it, Jesse, but a couple things that we do, we're looking at a practice, right? I will look at everything possible online. Google reviews, word for word, every Google review ever do they mention therapists or not? Do they mention front desk people and aides by name? Like, do they mention like the team members by name? I'll look at Glassdoor reviews. So the employee side of reviews, I'll look at obviously their Facebook, their Instagram. I'll look at like, what do people comment uh, on their Facebook page, on their Instagram? Obviously looking up the practice owner, like background checks and digital footprint and as much stuff that is possible online. So whatever it might be, you know, pictures of them uh, on their social media. From that, I think you can typically get a good idea of like the individual, their, you know, their values, their beliefs, their, the way that they uh, interact with folks in their community and your community, whatever it might be. Then after the culture morale thing, then uh, that, uh, what is basically is like, you take your playbook, and boom, you kind of ins- insert or or inject your culture and your playbook and your training uh, into that new practice that you're partnering or merging with, and that might have some conflict, that might have some resistance, whatever. But you know, it is what it is, and this is the crux of the buy versus build, which is there's all these positives of we'll just jump into marketing and we'll kind of come back to to the culture. Marketing is like. So, like something we already mentioned. So reactivating previous patients, there's already a previous patient list, right? Previous patient list could be as long as they've been around, which could be, I don't know, 10, 15 years, 20 years, whatever. Maybe they tracked the patient list. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they have only, I don't know, a couple thousand names. But if they have a couple thousand names, that's a lot more than a de novo clinic where you have to just use your list of location number one and two. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. It's totally different. It's yeah. So what do you got feedback wise in regards to like the marketing thing, I think is straightforward, right? So you just said all this stuff about Facebook ads, Google ads, SEO, whatever, like, yeah, yep. you're going to, you're going to inject, you're going to insert all current, all marketing, you know, best practices. That's, that's obvious. But the assessment of the practice owner, the seller, the culture, all that type of stuff, 
that is the crux of like, is this going to be a good deal? It's kind of like, are they going to be a good culture fit? Is there going to be good collaboration there? Is there going to be a welcomed party here? And then you kind of look at like, then do the figures and the numbers work out? Does, does that make sense financially? But one or the other could kill the deal. So uh, uh, the practice that's asking for too much, the deal might not get done. Or they're, they're asking for a fair price, but you notice that like, there's some bad Google reviews that say like, you know, I patients saying, I'm just going to make it up. Like patients writing Google reviews that say like my, I had some uh, insecurities or I had some issues with this practice and they were not addressed or I was brushed off or I don't know, all these things that could happen. What's your feedback? What are your thoughts in regards to some of this on yeah, uh, the, the prospect of merging or acquiring? Yeah, just on the Google review piece, I think the the Google reviews themselves is something I look at as like, what is actually written in the Google review? Is it all about the results that the client got or is it about how they were treated and the relationship that they had with the people and you know the experience that they had? Because I, I you know, any every physical therapist company in the in the country says they get good results. But that doesn't mean that that everybody gives a good experience. So if, if the Google reviews are talking about like the experience and the communication and the process and things like that, that's a huge green flag to me of, you know, these people like have the like the soft skills down. So are you are you inferring that you think Google reviews should be more? And I don't I'm not saying you're right or wrong one way or the other. Yeah. They should be more about how they were treated as opposed to the results of like, oh, uh, before I went to district performance, I had knee pain with squatting and I couldn't walk. And now two visits later, two weeks later, two months later, like I'm 100% better. And it was an amazing experience. Do you prefer that the reviews are more about the soft skills of like how they were treated? Or could it be like, I don't know, 50-50? I personally put a lot more emphasis on the soft skills because I think we just have a lot more control over that. And so when we, you know, we've got, I don't know, 200 and almost 300 Google reviews at this point. And when, when a Google review comes in, we just had one that, that talks about, um, she felt like she was part of the most, I can't even remember the words. I just put it as part of a presentation today. She felt like she was part of the most supportive community she's ever been a part of. That means way more to me than somebody's knee pain got better because and all the research shows it almost doesn't matter what physical therapy treatment you do. We can all argue over my treatment's better than your treatment, your treatment's better than my treatment, whatever. We can go back and forth on that all day. There's no really no argument whether somebody felt like they got treated well. Right. Awesome. Well said. I love it. So yeah, you would do the same thing. You would be checking those Google reviews, Glassdoor, all that. Just for time's sake, let's wrap it up. What do you think? And I know it's too early to tell, but let's just say if you had identified a few local competitors nearby what do you think would maybe make the most sense? And, and if you don't want to say that, that's fine, but what just from doing this, you know, this exercise and kind of looking at this table here, this, this Google sheet that we filled out, which uh, you guys can check out on the YouTube, what did this provide any clarity? Was this basically like you kind of already had this in your head and it's, you know, it's maybe validating or maybe it, you know, maybe didn't move the needle one way or the other. No, I think I think anything in my at least for me personally, anything in my head doesn't do me any good until I like actually put it to the paper or put it on a whiteboard or something like that. So it's it's incredibly helpful to to see it written out. Uh, and to me, I'd have to dive into it a little bit more. Well, my gut tells me if we can find another gym location or another two gym locations, keep doing the same thing that we've been doing and reproducing it that way. And so we've got a little bit more of a uh, of an internal bench to maybe put other places. It just seems like what we're already doing 
you know, if we can do that one or two more times, reprove the process, that seems like what my gut's telling me after this, but obviously need to kind of think through it a little bit more. Yeah. Awesome. That was growth strategy, Jesse Lewis's expansion data, building a de novo clinic versus buy or merge with a local competitor. If you find this helpful and valuable, subscribe to the Dave Kittle Show on YouTube. And we'll share more things like this so you can be, you know, have some interactive learning experience. Check us out on iTunes and Spotify as well. Jesse, thank you so much for your time. That was awesome. Thanks, Dave. This is awesome. Hey, it's Dave Kittle. Are you a healthcare business owner or physical therapy practice owner who is looking to figure out your succession plan or exit strategy? We might be able to help. And in fact, we may be interested in acquiring your practice. If you're interested, you can reach out to me. Shoot me an email at dave at conciergepainrelief.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-C-I-E-R-G-E, painrelief.com. Or you can call me at any time, 646-781-8884.